Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argeris and this week I'm looking for the best book ever written by Louisa May Alcott. Alcott? Mm. Alcott. Yeah. American novelist. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday, Louisa Happy May birthday Alcott. to Louisa. Mm. Writer of Little Women. And other and things. Yes. And, and many Joe, more. Joe insists. Um, how about this? <laughs> happy birthday. Happy birthday to Lou. That's really good. Did she, you know, did she like that? She actually oh, preferred. Oh, we she, can sing it. Yeah. You want to do it? That's a <clears throat> happy birthday to Lou. Two high school English teachers. To Ian and Joe. Hi, Nick. I'm Joe. I found a book by Louisa May Alcott. I had a hard time this week because when I thought about Louisa May Alcott, I'm like, oh yeah, she wrote Little Women, which is like 800 pages long. And then she wrote a book called Uh Little Men, which is like a thousand pages long. So then I tried to figure out what else she wrote. (laughs) And it turns out- Short stories? Yeah. Well, it turns (laughs) out that when she was a, um, a, a young writer, she was a Civil War nurse and she published a series of her diaries, a series of her letters home as to what it was like to be a Civil War nurse. It's called Hospital Sketches. It was written in 1863, and it's the book that I brought this week. Howdy, Nick. Howdy, Joe. Howdy, Lidheads. This week, I brought a very big book as uh, Sounds like Joe she likes. Yeah. But here's this will help. Like, this will help kind of take the edge off. It's a okay. big book that has little in the title, so it's okay. Oh, it's you a little book. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little book. Happy birthday, Lou Alcott. Today I brought her biggest smash hit, Little Woman. Not my first time reading it, but... um, But his last. (laughs) May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely (laughs) enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. (laughs) Who who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. Did you guys see the article that popped up about this group, this like uh, book club that has been reading Finnegan's Wake for like 40 years? I I knew a guy in grad school who was part of a reading group where every week or something they would get together and read one page. That was (sighs) terrible. It it may have been every month because it takes so long. Well, this group had been doing it for 40 years and by the end of it, they just finished it. And by the end of it, like the group couldn't agree on anything. They, uh, nobody knew yeah. what the plot was. Yep, nobody knew. Hates. Nobody was aligned. Absolute a- anarchy. Um, related, should we do Finnegan's Wake sometime? <laughs> <laughs> Our final episode. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, all right. I don't know anything about this author. She sounds fascinating if she was a nurse in, a, in the Civil War. That's, so, Joe, your book is stories from that? That's just part of it. Yeah, that's just part of it. Nick, she was a fascinating character. Ian and I actually um, have prepared, it's not a game, but kind of extensive biographical information, yeah. I would oh, say. Everybody's favorite. <laughs> Who needs a game when you have extensive <laughs> biographical information? <laughs> that's how I frame things when I teach them sometimes. I'm like, here's uh-huh. a fun activity. It's not actually fun, but if I frame it like this. It's a lecture. Like, <laughs> guys, I have a game for you to play. There's 20 questions and you have 10 minutes to finish it. <laughs> and it will go This will be great. <laughs> well, welcome, Lit's Heads. Lit Heads. Lit's Heads. Lit's Heads. Lit's Heads is the proper <laughs> pluralization. <laughs> <laughs> like brothers-in-law. <laughs> Brother-in-laws. Joe, get it right. Sorry.
Welcome to Heads. <laughs> to You Don't Know Lit, a weekly, or as we call it, strongly podcast, where every week we bring two book recommendations, and just to upset one, uh, Ian and Joe, we pick a winner. It also upsets the books. So like, it upsets everybody. This is oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Nick Nick most of all. He's he's deeply no, torn. Don't give a shit he's about deeply torn books. by this. He cries himself to sleep. <laughs> no. Uh gentlemen, we have some rules. Uh rule number one, please no spoilers. Rule number two, uh Joe, all right. Mm-hmm. Yep, I got it. You know I know, I know. You know what's up. And rule number three, only winning matters. Gentlemen, go for the neck. <laughs> Joe, tell me what your book is about. You have thirty Exact seconds. Nick, on her 30th birthday, Louisa May Elcott wrote in her journal, 30 years old, decide to go to Washington as a nurse if I could find a place. She found one in Georgetown and she spent the next six weeks, uh, it was supposed to be months, but she got typhoid, working as a nurse in a Civil War hospital. There she wrote four letters back home describing her experience. Those letters all contain, and all they contain from the mismanagement of the hospitals to the indifference and callousness of some of the surgeons she encountered were then published in an abolitionist magazine. They are the thing that launched her career. Louisa May Alcott, Hospital Sketches, 1863. It's just a little book. It's yeah, I was going to say, how long little. is this? It's you little. It's like 100 a pages long. It's like oh, a hundred pages long. I hate so much. Ian, Joe I started is, reading this book two days ago. <laughs> oh, you? Um, Joe has the, the immense skill of waiting for me to overcommit. <laughs> right. <laughs> which one are you, which book are you going to bring? Ian. That's the approach. Yeah. Tell us about, read your book to us. When I say Louise May Alcott, you say Little Women. Louise May Alcott. Little, Little Women. Women. There it is. Uh, this is uh, the book that made her a household name. It inaugurated a new kind of American fiction, and it's a pretty darn good story. It follows four little women, young, young, <laughs> teenage women, teenage girls, uh, Meg, the oldest, Joe, the tomboy, Beth, the sick one, and Amy, the annoying one, as they grow up. <laughs> And grow together and learn to be not so not so much girls but women. It's like uh, sort of a buildings roman in full with it's four. It's the buildings roman. I mean, like, <laughs> yo, dog. I heard you like buildings roman, so I put a buildings roman in your buildings roman. This is right. Li- they say it all the time. Stacks. Yeah. yeah. I always picture myself as the annoying one, but lately I've been sick so much that I feel like a Beth. <laughs> <laughs> I would not have. I, you're, you're absolutely. Your vibes are Amy vibes. I think Joe's got the Meg vibes. The Joe is Joe is obviously He's such a Meg. The old. I, I don't the, know. I have no knowledge about this book. I don't know what either of you are saying right now. Uh, Meg is Meg is the oldest. Meg is the most um, accomplished. Uh, uh, widely avowed is the prettiest. And uh, wow, well, that sounds good. Deeply, de- 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 deeply insecure. Deeply, deeply insecure. Deep- <laughs> Son of a ah, bitch. Uh, right for the psychological warfare. Uh, Joseph, I think we need to learn a little bit about this author. Why don't you kick us off here? Louisa May Alcott had kind of a bonkers life. I do yeah, want to okay. talk about hospital sketches, but I want, I, of I guess we all just, do, Joe. just some fun facts. Yeah, some um, fun facts. She grew up in, on the East coast, like in the Boston and the Massachusetts area in a transcendentalist commune called Fruitlands. It's weird to say she grew up here. She lived here for like seven months at one point, but um, her family, you know, like hippie communes in the sixties where people like would all live together. 
Yes. And it would be community living. She, I also she know lived that. in that. Thank you. Like yeah. she lived in one of those. As I understand it, she lived in, she, there were, there were a couple of attempts, um, a couple of different times that different, the, the, these groups, um, her family and others went like, oh, now this, now this is where it's going to yeah, be. This, this is where we're going to make it work. It out. And then, spoiler, they didn't over and over. The Fruitlands one. So her family, the transcendentalists like Henry David Thoreau, Ralph Waldo Emerson, her family were like friends with these people. Like, yeah, yeah they were tight with them. In fact, she, she, um, she took lessons in naturalism from Henry David Thoreau. Mm-hmm. This the- is a wild beginning to this. I'm trying to wrap my head around what you guys are saying. Okay, so she grew up on a hippie commune and More was less. kind of moved around a lot. Yes, mm-hmm. and was friends with extremely famous writers, yes. like like, okay. like like learning from them. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, not just She's, friends; like they were her mentors. Like, yeah. what were, were her parents her doing? Were they just? Well, her dad was largely not making money. Um, like mm, yes. being part of these communes. Uh, they, they on these communes they talked about like the family lived on plain living and high thinking is what they said. So oh they pretty much like sat around and talked that about sounds like no fun a lot. <laughs> In fact, at Fruitlands they vowed you know there's all sorts of rules like they were going to eat no animal substances, they were going to drink only water, they were going to bathe in unheated water, no artificial light. But one of the things is they didn't want to use animal labor to like run the farm which turned out to be really, really challenging to do. Very they progressive. Pl- stupid yeah. idea. Stupid, <laughs> straight up stupid idea. Okay, so how many of them died, Joe? Yeah, well, none of them died, but they planted their crops a month late, and they all Beth. left in January, <laughs> presumably when they, it got really cold and they ran out Okay, of so they're not into, like, planning. How old is she and what year is it? She's, like, she's a kid, and it's the early 1800s? Um, mid mid eighteen hundreds. She mid. Um, she was uh old enough, kind of throughout this to to know to see some of the crap that was going on. Um, that what what emerges is that she was not the biggest fan of her dad. Uh, yeah. She kind of feels like maybe her dad did some made some bad choices and uh, wasn't particularly kind or loving to his family as much as he could be, and was more focused on his ideals. Mm-hmm. Um, and this kind of shaped shaped her work in in future years yeah it sounds like he wasn't worried about his family at all (laughs) well (laughs) nick he just wanted them in contact with their truest self right like in contact making the best of their own individual lives as they could make i'm not going to judge somebody from the mid 1800s god knows who knows what the fuck that was like uh Mm. it's terrible but but, presumably but, but here's the thing like we can judge them because a lot of this um a lot of this transcendental stuff was very uh illogical like irrational mm. stupid so okay. one of their one of their farms they didn't I'm not think sure if, so not sure if it was fruitlands or, or a different different utopian community but um their deal was you know we're gonna have everyone we're gonna have everyone has to work mm-hmm. um for a cer- certain amount of time and if you don't work for a certain amount of time you'll be kind of frowned upon i suppose uh-huh. sure um we don't have and animals here. You need to lift your, you know, pull your the weight. People, the yeah. people, some people pull were like, rope. yes, yes, I am working. I'm doing poetry. That's my work. Mm-hmm. And others were like, yes, uh, but you poets, you also need to like cultivate food and fix the thatch yeah. or else we'll freeze to death and starve. And the poets got really grouchy and there was kind of this revolt and eventually, um, eventually people, uh, the, the issue was a, a person power labor, a person person power issue 
They just wanted to write poetry. Yep. Right. In, yep. in the words of every liberal arts parent ever, um, you can't eat a poem, Nick. You yes, can't eat right. a poem. Or as my father eloquently put it, what's the difference between an author and a large pizza? A large pizza can feed a family of four. Really mm-hmm. good. That's yeah, great. Really good. good jokes. Yeah, um, we've okay. heard all these before, for yeah. sure. <laughs> great. Okay, so things are going well, and we haven't even got past age seven. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> She's eating what, dirt. Let's skip ahead to the next chapter here, Joe. Um, she wrote an, under a pseudonym for a bunch of her life, and she wrote like kind of scintillating e things. I guess uh, quote lurid short stories and sensation oh, wow. novels um, for adults that focused on passion and revenge. A lot of these were found like in her papers uh, after her death. Like they actually ne- didn't know that she had published these. Yeah. They didn't. They knew that these novels existed. Obviously, <laughs> they did not know that Louisa May Alcott is uh, the person that published these. Right. You know, the Fifty Shades of Grey of her times, presumably. If we've said it once we've said it a million times you gotta delete your your journal you got mm. to delete your email you gotta hide the fact mm-hmm. they'll come for it if you're at, at all a famous author they will come for your cutting room floor nonsense mm-hmm. be, be like um uh terry pratchett who burned it all and right. then bulldozed it into a hole it's really interesting though that 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 the this I didn't know this part of it, Joe, uh, because there are things that she did delete. So she had this affair yeah. in in yeah. Um, Europe with a Polish guy, mm-hmm. um, and she recorded like she wrote down like, oh yeah, it was a great affair. We had a good party time. Great affair. But then, she, but then she went back later before she died and cut that out of her journals. So, well, that's just like deleting your Instagram pictures, you know, like you delete all the there. Instagram photos with the other person in them. That's right. That's been happening for years. Mm-hmm. Nick, she was an abolitionist. She was a feminist. Her family um, were station masters on the underground railroad in one of their homes. Um, they, What's a, a st- this is basically what it sounds like. Yeah, they, they ran a stop. They, they, they ran they, a yep, stop. Got it. Yep, they ran a stop at the Underground Railroad. So she, um, during her childhood, would have just like people fleeing north into Canada, uh, uh, stay with them for a week at a time, which I would imagine was, you know. Yeah, it's kind of fun. See, yeah, see, yeah kind by. of fun. <laughs> Meet some yeah. interesting people. Well, it's kind of like it's, having a foreign exchange student. Kind of, yeah. Short, short stay. Or like except, a refugee. Like except a refugee. if you're caught, everybody dies. I mean, like it, it's you, you can't be um, you can't really be a, a bigot when you Mm-mm. when you're literally seeing the the products of. Yep, she's um, putting her life on the line. Refugee, okay, so yeah. it seems like her path is pretty clear. Uh, grew up with extremely. Uh, parents who really valued the arts and she started writing at a young age. I, I think she grew up with hippie parents. I think that's yeah. like kind of what this is coming down to. And specifically hundreds hippie parents. 1800s hippie parents. Especially like specifically hippie dad. Mm-hmm. So mom, mom seems to have not been so on board with all this, <laughs> yeah. but this is also a time when, but, um, <laughs> that didn't matter. Yes. Welcome to the 1800s. She did <laughs> receive a couple of inheritances over the years, which seems like it was pretty much mom the did, yes. only thing mm-hmm. that floated the family oh, for years mom is and just, years. Mom's job is, is mom's job picture is for this dad, huh? Mm-hmm. Kissing up to ancient relatives and waiting for them to die. Yeah. <laughs> not taking care of his family and just taking an inheritance money. All right. Keep, okay. But we're not judging. But we're not yeah. judging. Nick, there's more I could say here, but I have to talk about hospital sketches. Um, she was the first woman registered to vote in Concord, Massachusetts. Oh, I didn't know that's cool. so cool. Yeah. Um, and, like she just waited in line first, or was that like an honorary thing? Was she no, like no, an she accomplished got writer? Like 2 a.m. <laughs> she's, she's just an early riser. Just camped out. <laughs> 
so this is the 1800s. I mean, you're not moving out at the age of 18, right? So is she, she's well into her adulthood and she, is she still living with her parents on this commune? Oh, the commune shut down. No, yeah, the commune shut down oh. almost immediately. <laughs> like, like seven months. <laughs> oh, I thought maybe they went to another one. Yeah, at some point they did. She no. was um she was single her whole life. She remained unmarried mm-hmm. her whole life. Um she worked in reform movements like temperance and women's suffrage. I don't know exactly who she lived with. I presume that once she was wealthy, 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 she just lived in a big old house on her own with some cats. But maybe they maybe they found that out in her private <laughs> journal that they went through. She in in the 1860s there weren't a lot of career options for women, but there were some. Um, so th- things like yeah. being a governess or being a seamstress or being a nurse. And so it seems like perhaps to some extent, especially pre-fame. So the, 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 uh, the deal was that I wanted to, to I'll just wrap that up. She, mm-hmm. um, she seems to have taken opportunities to, to get out yeah. of the house yeah. and take <laughs> jobs that, that, that like, I mean, going to Washington, um, going, going various places that would allow her to kind of get away from Okay. Yeah, it's nice to get out of the house from time to time. Um, yeah, and I, I should say, in the 10 years before she was a Civil War nurse, because, of course, you can't be a Civil War nurse when there's no Civil War. If there's War, not a Civil War, right. Uh, she I mean, she was tried. a teacher. Right, she was a teacher. And when she was trying oh, okay. to figure out what to do during that time, um, she was kind of at this crossroads in her life, and she was asking her family, I don't know, I'm not sure what I should do. And they were giving her recommendations, and one of them said, well, you could teach again. And she's like, yeah, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> like, no, thank you. I would rather be a Civil War nurse. She was. She got on the train and she went to go to the Civil War. If you guys became an internationally famous author, would you keep teaching? Some people do. (laughs) (laughs) You'd probably go teach at Harvard. I was hoping that this podcast would make me an internationally famous podcaster and then I was going to quit immediately. Are you familiar with the 10,000 hour rule? Mm. It's actually been uh, disproven. Well, well, in a couple of weeks, we're gonna. Yeah, we're gonna to be fair, it's never been proven. So <laughs> it just kind <laughs> of exists. Okay, Nick. Hospital sketches. Is that what this book is about? It's about. It is about it's, being a nurse it, in a Civil War hospital. It's um, just that time. Okay. Yep. Is it true or or a fake fiction and a lie? Super good question. It is oh. true. Um, like these are pretty much. You say that like someone who's about to say, but it's actually. But not. yeah, yeah. The, the main character in this book is not called Louisa May Alcott. The main character in this mm. book is called Tribulation Periwinkle, which is one of those oh, like man. Boy, that yeah. is a working title if I've ever heard one. <laughs> Holy shit. We need should a rewrite. We, should we change this podcast to be called You Don't Know Tribulation Periwinkle? This used to be really a, a thing in American literature, like, you know, Ben Franklin publishing under Constance True, Dugan true, true. And yes. things like yes. that. Um, so it's Tribulation Periwinkle, but from everything I can see, it's pretty much these started as letters back home that were meant to inform and you know like kind of capture what it was like to be that nurse and then her dad was like hey if you want to send these to my buddies over at like the abolitionist magazine they'll totally publish them right and they were like lightly tweaked and then sent out and published so the name was changed but not very much else it sounds like and remember Lidheads, this is and nick this is the t- time of the a uh, time of culture when uh, a period in culture when a period in his- cultural history when pretty much all of your you have a few options for entertainment mm-hmm. reading mm-hmm. uh going to listen to live music that's it yeah um, or possibly writing letters, like like writing, right? Yeah. Yes, mm. uh, but but the the effect of this what about uh, dueling? Dirt, 
dearth of entertainment, um, perhaps if if you're a good doodler, mm-hmm. but um, otherwise it might be a downer. Um, the, the this dearth of entertainment meant that a lot of stuff was getting published. Yeah. A lot of a lot stuff, of was, stuff getting was getting published. Mm-hmm. A lot of niche okay. publications. Yeah. Is this one of her first books, or is this the first book? It is her first. It's her first book. I don't know. Actually, those scintillating ones. I'm not sure if besides they came the porn or after. Yeah, besides the porn. One of the strange things about this book is she wasn't a Civil War nurse for that long. She was she had signed up for like a three month enlistment is kind of what it sounds like. Like you go there for three months, you live they there. They needed help, huh? They were like anybody's a nurse. Yeah, yeah. Like her prior experience, like it seems like her experience before this was, or her qualifications for this were, you are a woman and you are willing. Yeah. Although I shouldn't even say you are a woman because I, I think like. Um, uh, Leaves of Grass. Walt Walt Whitman was a was a Civil War nurse, I believe. Yeah, I mean, can you put pressure on something and use a saw? Yep, that's pretty much what you needed to do as a nurse. In yeah, the Civil can War. you break it to people that they are going to die because these doctors are very Yikes. busy. <laughs> okay, so what are these stories like, Joe? Yeah. Tell us about this book. It's here. pretty much a chronological account of her being there, right? So it starts out with her enlistment and departure. So the first like twenty pages of this thing are, and then I got on this train, and then I got on this train, and then I got on this train, and this is who I met on the train, and it. It's not not like the most riveting start, I have to not say. Not scintillating. Not scintillating. But then she gets to the hospital, right? And these hospitals are like three long barracks, three long sheds, basically. And patients mm-hmm. are triaged in these three long sheds. Um, and basically, the first shed is these people are going to be okay. The second shed is oh these people they require some special care. And the third shed mm-hmm. is these people are definitely going to they die. Gonna die. They, like these people are going to die. It is only mm-hmm. a matter of time. Like a three bears situation. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just exactly like the three bears. Thank you, Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, and she worked through out these three sheds. She had shifts in all three of them. She had some that she preferred. She had others that she didn't. You can maybe imagine which is which. Um, she would make friends with these patients. She would follow the doctors on their rounds. She would dress wounds. And basically, if you were a Civil War nurse at this hospital, you pretty much work from morning until night. Like once these mm, patients come in, you just you pass out. Yeah, you go, go, go. This is um, during the time when when uh, the sort of eight hour workday was not particularly a thing. The no. <laughs> unions had not busted yet. <laughs> um, so is this uh, like, how does the book read? It's a short story. Is this like, I met Bill and this is Bill's story and like, and then Bill died and it was sad. I mean, is it kind of like character studies a little? It, it, it or? reads as a series of sketches. That's exactly it. So it's like, so it is kind of like, and then I met this night nurse and this night nurse that I worked with, she was like an awesome nurse and she was no nonsense and she was gruff, but she was super good at her job. Let me tell you about this night nurse. And then I met this boy with a bullet wound in his face, right? And he was awfully chipper about having a bullet wound in his face. Like it was, it, it is all stuff like that as you go through. So you just go from sketch to sketch to sketch. Um, and are there pictures? There Sorry. are no pictures. I want to be so oh, clear about it's this. It's a misleading step. title then, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Okay. Talk about fake fiction right. why. Yeah. So that's that fiction part you mentioned. Uh-huh. All right. What were you going to say? This book is not what I thought it was going to be when I picked it up, right? Like I would imagine that working in a civil war hospital uh, where you have these three sheds and one of them is full of people who are just dying, agonizing deaths. 
I would imagine that that is not a particularly pleasant job. Like, I would imagine that that is you coming up against the horrors of war and like the 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 realities of of our very brief time on this planet and like all the terrible ways that people can die. Yeah, the tone of these books is like of this book is surprisingly upbeat. Is what I interesting. Would say. She acknowledges, obviously, like like hey. These like here was a guy who had had his leg sawed off on the battlefield, right? Mm. And um, and he had an arm that was super mangled as well, and it was only a matter of time before we were going to saw, saw off that mangled arm. But he was like such a nice guy, and he was in really good spirits, and he was making these jokes about how when the judgment day came and all the corpses came out of their graves, that they'd have to be looking for arms because like there wouldn't be enough to go around, that everybody would be like looking for extra arms and legs so that they could go to heaven right. whole, et cetera. Keep keeping it light. She talks about like this man with a bullet wound through his cheek, and he asked her for a looking glass, asked her for a mirror, and she gives it to him, and he looks at it, and he's like, ah... I really used to be handsome. <laughs> like this sucks, but like in a, in such a lighthearted and jovial and jokey way. Is it funny, Joe, or are you just a, a sick bastard? No, no, no. Yeah. It, it is. is it possible you're just a, a sicko? It is light, and it is at times funny, right? Like it is light. Anything. I mean, that sounds like a cool little uh, window into the Civil War. Is it just dying people, or is it? I mean, some people get better, but I will say that it seems like once you're in this hospital, it's, it sounds like your best bet of surviving the Civil War is don't get wounded, <laughs> right? Like step one, don't get wounded. Um, yeah. Because once you're in this hospital, uh, it, things don't go very well. They're like, we don't even have medicine. It doesn't even exist yet. <laughs> it's like, this is where you go to die. Yeah, this, this is where you go to die. Um, she tells a story that's uh, about this guy named John that she becomes really good friends with. He's a patient uh, and and she becomes very good friends with him. And John is big and he's handsome and he's like pure, like all of his, all of his guys that came in with him are like, Oh, John, John is the best. Like, like when we would go out drinking he would always abstain. Like he would pray every night. Like he is just like, he is just hmm. absolutely awesome. We all super admire John and John doesn't even really seem that hurt. He does have a bullet through his lung, right? But he's like walking around, he's talking, right? Like oh. he's laying there and the doctors are all like, yeah, that's John. Um, he's going to die from that bullet. Like it's going to take right. him days and days and days to die, but we absolutely cannot, yet we cannot fix it, right? We're doctors from the 1800s. <laughs> we don't know. We cannot manage we his be pain <laughs> in any way, <laughs> right? So like, right. Wow. And- and by the way, dear Miss um, Tribulation Periwinkle, dear Miss Tribulation Periwinkle, <laughs> we're super busy. Can you be the one that breaks it to him that he's going to die? Because he doesn't oh feel that goodness. badly right now, right? Yeah, of course. They made the nurses do that. They made him their bearer of bad news. And she and she does. Like she kind of talks about what it's like to hang out with John and how she like really likes him and how he's a lot older than the other soldiers and 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 um. And how he's got like these great kind eyes. And even when he's in pain, he just has these like these childlike eyes that look at you like with nothing but like trust in them. And then like one day she's dressing his wounds and he kind of asks offhandedly, he's like, oh man, you know, these wounds are really annoying. Do the doctors think I'm going to be able to go back to battle? And she's like, uh, yeah, they don't. As a matter of fact. 
Yeah, like as a matter of fact, they don't. Um, Turns out. And it's like this moment, this really kind of sweet, sad moment in the book where like he gets it. Like he understands that she just said, you like, you are going to die from this, right? Um, and I don't know. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of nice little stuff in there. But I guess the thing is, is as I was reading this this week, it did dawn on me that this is... This is for a Northern audience in 1863, right? And they mostly want to know that the Civil War is going fine, right? Like Mm. the Civil War is like, sure, people are getting hurt in the Civil War, but you know what? Our boys are brave and they are big and yeah, they get a bullet through the face, but they are in good spirits about it, right? Oh, that, those were the rewrites that you mentioned. It does. A bit it, of, I propaganda. do wonder about like yeah. the level of like, I, well, I shouldn't say propaganda. Part of it does read like civil war, like, like Yankee propaganda. Damn Yankee right. propaganda is what it reads like. Right. I think some of it though, is just like a person who's like, it's being filtered through a writer who's really excited about being there, who feels like yeah. she's doing an actually good thing, yeah. who feels like they are fighting a just war, right? right All right. of those things which are true. So I don't think it's necessarily, boy, we really got to spin this war and make it look like it's going well. I think it's more like, hey, I think this war is for a valid cause. And let me tell you about our brave boys. Speaking of war, I thought this might be a good time huh. to talk about, about old Abe, who is our bird of the week. Oh, wah, 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 wah. Old Abe was a bald eagle. Um, you guys will like this. As Wisconsinites, you'll like this. Uh-huh. Old Abe was a bald eagle who is the mascot of a Wisconsin volunteer regiment in the Civil War. Let me so wrap my he head was, around this. Yeah, yeah. So, so okay. old Abe was he's captured as a as a as a baby as a, as a fledgling. Okay, mm-hmm. eaglet. E- e- um, eaglet. Somebody eaglet. said, "Get that bird!" By a <laughs> uh, a prince of the Lactoflambo Ojibwe tribe mm-hmm. nation, um, and sold for a bushel of corn to oh. a guy in Eagle Point. And he was carried into battle, and um, he had an oh, official no. eagle handler. No, it doesn't end badly. It ends, he does, it he wasn't in, shot in the head, No, was he? he wasn't shot in the face. After the war, this is where it gets really good, um, Wisconsin, the state of Wisconsin took possession of him and classified old Abe still alive as a war relic. And they made him a special house in the state capitol which had a bathtub. There was a state-funded caretaker who uh, who took care of him, um, and he, he had, had a house. Did he share it, or was it a just two, his? A, a two a two room <laughs> apartment in the Capitol building, and he became a nationally known celebrity. Uh, people all over the country would request him for their charity events, uh, their fundraisers, their expositions, and so on. Eventually. Um, uh oh. Eventually, he did. Um, there was a fire in the Capitol building. Oh, no. There was a fire, and he raised in the Capitol building, and he raised the alarm, and they oh, put it out. Hey, he was a hero, <laughs> but but no, war hero, it's, it's fire hero, because well, he didn't inhale a lot of smoke, and then he died. Did he? But did he save lives? He always saved so, so many lives. Oh my so goodness! Many. And then. Old Abe lived lived on after that because they stuffed him, of course, mm-hmm. and they put him in the Capitol. Um, <laughs> and for until 1904, he was in the Wisconsin State Capitol. Then 
1904, the Wisconsin State Capitol building caught on fire. He was dead, so he couldn't raise the alarm. <laughs> <laughs> and his remains were destroyed. Holy oh, shit. All of this being said, if you ever go to the Wisconsin State Assembly Chamber, you can see a replica. If you ever go to Camp Randall, um, where the the Wisconsin University of Wisconsin Badgers play football, uh, on top of the Camp Randall Arch, there is a sculpture of Old Abe. There is also Old Abe related paraphernalia around Wisconsin statues and so, so forth. The place where he was captured, Jim Falls, has a 10-foot statue of Old Abe. Wow, um, this is amazing. Old wow. Abe is a huge part of Wisconsin Civil War history. Apparently. And, and this is wild. I've never heard any of this before. Like, I'm looking at the Camp Randall Arch right now. I have walked under this arch many times. Yep. And Nick, I think you're, I'm afraid that you're thinking there's just a carved eagle at the top of this statue. It actually says Old Abe under him. Like, there's a heart that says Old Abe under him. Yeah, and you never so. noticed it. And this... This is bird is a hero and also has the worst luck in terms of fire <laughs> <laughs> or possibly a bit of an arsonist. Yeah, exactly. That's anyway, good. that's your bird. That's your bird story for the week. Um, old Abe, Civil War hero, uh, truly the face of West. It's really amazing. Really amazing. Our second military bird. I would like to point out. Ian, tell us about your book. Yeah. So I, I have a little more to share. A little, little more, bit more about, about birds here. <laughs> no, about Alcott. Uh, pieces, pieces about Alcott that are useful. As we know, she was poor all of her as, as a child and much of her early life. The desire to have money is a ruling desire. Uh, uh, she really does want to. Club. She wants to not be um, poor, which she has had bad experiences with. Yeah, I was going to ask, does she know she's poor? Because sometimes you don't really know. <laughs> oh, she absolutely, she knows it and she hates it. She does okay. not like being poor. So, Got it. Um, in uh, in the 1850s, um, a senator, a state senator, came to the town where um, came to oh, sorry came to ask uh, Alcott's mother um, for a, a companion for his sister. And so Alcott's mother said, "Well, okay, Louisa, would you like to do this?" So she did. And supposedly, Louisa was supposed to just supposed to hang out and like read and talk. The sister is sickly. Supposedly, Alcott was supposed to to be there and just to be a friendly face and like take care of her. And if she fell or got super sick, you know, oh, I'm, I'm on hand. Alcott got there, and the sister was not really interested in that at all. Instead, the guy, the senator James Richardson, was like, "Let's spend a lot of time reading poetry. Let me tell you about what I think about the world. Let me tell you how I feel about the world." Um, and Louise is like, well, hey, thank you, sir, for all of these poems. But I'm really supposed good. to be mm. helping out with your sister. And I am done. This is a direct quote. I'm done listening to your philosophical, metaphysical, and sentimental rubbish. Yeah. And he says, cool. Go chop wood and scrub the floors. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, her list of duties changed significantly. <laughs> Haul the coal. Tell me more so, about that poetry. <laughs> <laughs> so um, she quit. Uh, she couldn't find anyone to replace her um, because everyone was like, wow, you, you're, you're the worst, James Richardson. He gave her $4 and supposedly she mailed it back to him because she was so contemptuous of him. So this kind yeah. of represents who she is. She, yes, she is a, uh, she wants to be, wants to, to have money, but she also has standards. Um, that's one piece of historical background. The other piece of historical background has to do with gender. So she had four, she had three sisters. So there were, there was her and there were, there were three other, three other women. 
Okay. Um, oh, were, how, were they? How would you describe their physical size? Little, a little. Okay. I mean, yeah. they were they were small, small females. Um, <laughs> small. And then gradually, they got larger. Uh, one of them was um, one of them was uh, very accomplished and beautiful. One of them was sickly. One of them was annoying, and one of them was a tomboy. So Alcott wrote in letters that she didn't really feel like she was a woman. Her the, the famous quote is she said, "I feel like I have a man's soul in a woman's body." And she didn't really want to write a story for girls. She didn't want to write a story about girls. Um, and she Oops. actually disliked the <laughs> act of writing this book. She's like, ah. I don't know things about girls. Like, yeah. I, I'm interested in in guy stuff, um, and I don't like this. But she got through it, and the book was just enormously popular. It's autobiographical. She brings in stuff from her own mm-hmm. life. And um, it was so popular. She just published the first, like she published one one volume of this. Um, and it has a, a nice wrap up, a nice conclusion. Of, uh, things are tied up neatly. Oh, so it originally came out in, in volumes. Not, so not really. It was originally conceived as just one shorter book. And it was so, that one shorter book was so popular that, People demanded what what happens to them. Yeah, what's yeah. here's nine hundred more pages. <laughs> <laughs> this is like I mean, the second half is longer than the first half. Yes, um, this is it's like it's like the opposite of sort of sequel mania. She wasn't intending to write a sequel, but it was so well done that the people said, demanded. Let it. me, and and I I like this. I think this is like I understand this. When I read this, when I first read this, when I was a young a younger person reading this, I was like, I got to the, the end of the first volume, I'm like. And you know where what what happens uh, to these? Could people? you see it? Like, does it wrap up kind of nicely? It is. I went into this reading um knowing that about this, and I like the way the first volume ends. Mm-hmm. We'll get to this more in Tiffany's, mm-hmm. I think. But um the first volume ends really, really well. There are four central characters, um, as I've described already. Meg is beautiful but insecure. Joe is um, enthusiastic but uh, kind of oh, go, moves too quickly. She's Cops a tomboy. Beth, Does not Beth is way. very, very, very sweet and also very sickly. I mean, it's the 1800s, so you're going to one sickly one. Yeah, they're one's they're lucky die. to get this yeah. far. Amy is the youngest. She's dreadful, self-centered, infuriating, and her characteristic is young. Over the course of the story, these four girls grow up. Um, this is kind of an ensemble cast thing. Joe is maybe our main character, but the others are very much in evidence. They undergo a lot of hardships. They're not particularly wealthy, so they have to deal with like understanding that um, they're not, you know, the 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 dangers of of being too caught up with wealth. There's a, there's a a section where Meg goes away to a rich, rich people's house for a a couple of weeks. And she comes back and she's like, that was terrible. I hated, I hated that. And I hated what, like what that made me be. Is this kind of like, I guess my, like, why is this book so famous? Is it more of a story about, uh, I don't know, like the female experience. Jesus, let me say that again. Is this more of a story about like women or is this more a story about life and like growing up and getting old or both it's a story about poverty and it's got some people who kind of like nobody reads this book because it's about poverty (laughs) (laughs) no i think i think one of the big things about this book is like what it says about work and about selflessness and like about sort of sacrificing your own like desire for ease Mm -hmm. um 
Like we all want to kind of hang out, but um, it's not good for us to just be on vacation all the time. Yeah. So like, I think that's, that is absolutely part of it, but, but there is, there's a lot about um, sort of negotiating female identity. What does it mean to be um, a woman? What are, what about, what do I do? What do I do with all these expectations of me? What do I do if I don't really like those expectations or they don't, they don't match me. They don't, they don't um, describe who I am. Um, and there's also like, it's, there's love. There's a lot of true love, especially in the second half of the the second volume. You know, these, these little women grow up and society sort of tells them like, okay, now you're going to fall in love. And they're like, well, what if I would rather write books or what if I'd rather travel and do, do painting? And am I supposed to accept this person when they ask me to marry them? Even if I don't super love them? Um, and that's like, is this like a feminist book? Was this like an early feminist book? Yeah. So, so I mean, I would say not even, not even early. Like she was, um, Alcott was part of the, the first wave of feminism. She's part of the, the, the feminist movement. And, um, she was, uh, kind of avowedly. So, um, I, the reason I'm hesitating when I say it is, is that I think one thing that might rub modern readers the wrongish way is that everybody ends up married. Yeah. Well, happily ever after, Ian. So is that what they wanted? Well, it is. It is, and I think I think a, a, a thoughtful response would be to say, like, well, like you can be feminist and still be married. You can say, like, yes, I I want to be a fully realized person, and also what I want is um, a husband and children. But I think I think the way that everyone in this book sort of gets their stories tied up with, and then they're married and things were good. The other reason that this is so popular, so famous, is that there have been a lot of stage and screen adaptations. There's been so, so adaptations many movie adaptations. Will, yes. Yeah, like a lot, like over, like repeatedly, quickly. And like all pretty well reviewed. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there are a lot of, like, this is a classic sort of stage stage production um it really lends itself both to the sort of musical because it's got it's got these recognizable characters it's got these recognizable scenarios um it's a, it's a period piece it's historical so you get to get, get to wear some cool costumes yeah so it does really well on stage i i was actually involved with a production of of little women at one point did they know you were involved or were you just kind of right. hanging out just on no i was playing amy uh, and i was playing the annoying uh-huh. one the young one and i did I you did played a really Amy. No, he's no, he teasing. Didn't. He, he's he was joshing me. It's yeah. a lie. But I think I think it's also been it's also been um uh a it's been a, it's been a film. There have been multiple really well reviewed films, including the the recent one. We we have to talk about it. We have to. Um, Greta Gerwig's from twenty nineteen, yeah. where Bob Odenkirk plays the dad. Um, this is the this is an adaptation which I think gave Little Women new life. Instead of like a neat story where everyone gets married off at the end, Gerwig takes the story as it stands and turns it into a story about storytelling. Because this is the other part. Yeah. I, I, I haven't I haven't really talked about this much, but our sort of main character, Joe, isn't just a tomboy and um, uh, struggles with her temper, but she's also a writer. And she secretly uh, publishes her stories anonymously in magazines. And eventually she starts publishing more, shall we say, scintillating stories, more salacious stories. (laughs) And a character has to come along and say, you're morally wrong for doing that. Well, Sounds real judgy. feels judgmental. Yeah, it's <laughs> very judgy. judgmental. It's the 1800s, though. So. Uh, so, um, so, uh, what Gerwig does is the story's already kind of about storytelling, about 
uh, what storytelling can do for you, how we tell ourselves stories about ourselves. And Gerwig comes along and makes that explicit, which I think is really Cool. Why do you think this book has stuck around? So I think I think part of it part of what it does is um, uh, the the critics talk about how this kind of blends genres. So there's a genre of sort of children's literature which is focused on children, which was current at the time, and then there's also this genre of the sentimental, where it's very focused on sort of emotions and and the the love, the growth of love between two beautiful young people and like this, this, that, that's more for an adult audience. Um, and then you've got the, the children's lit, the children's literature, which is, um, coming of age and, and children dealing with poverty. And the fact that those scintillating stories popped up and they didn't, like we, we didn't know about them really as hers until night, the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Way late. So like a hundred years after she was publishing mm-hmm. them, scholars started realizing, Hang on She's a second. A freak. Louisa May Alcott, <laughs> squeaky clean author of Little Women, kind of Super positions freak. herself as the the anti to America's children, is also writing these stories of passion and romance and betrayal and revenge. Um, it's just like we need to do a week where it's just all the the side smut that these authors brought. <laughs> you know, because she's not the only one to have like a side career where it's like I do feel like this comes up from time. It gets time. a little, yeah. it gets a little nasty. I kind of feel say. like people did it to pay the bills. Like it's like, well, I want to write this high minded like literary stuff, or I want to write <sighs> these important stories. But do you know what people really like to read? It's their oh my <laughs> like, god! It's their it's their it's like it's they had an OnlyFans account. They had a little feet <laughs> account going that they just needed to oh, get by. Yeah. We've all been there. But so so she was writing. She wrote a lot of this um, these sensational stories between 1863 and 1870. After Little Women came out, and she started writing sequels, and that kind of like established her. She stopped writing for adults. Mm. Um, neither, neither, um, neither, uh, under a pen name nor under her name. So she was like, Hey, I, I, I was casting. I, I think it's nobody wants an OnlyFans account. <laughs> if they didn't have to have an, some Only- people do. <laughs> I, think, I think it's more, I think it's more, um, she was casting around to see what niche she could be successful in. Sure. She didn't know she was going to be successful, but she, she found success. And so she found, she ended up where, where the success, she took, she went where the success took her. Gentlemen, welcome to Tiffany's a safe place for you to tell me all the shitty things about your book. Mm. Joke, go first. Yeah, it starts a little slow. Uh, for right, a little for, slow. For a book about Civil War hospitals, there's a lot of train time early in this book. Okay, <laughs> so maybe just another pass on the edit, Ian. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another edit, yeah, so another my, edit pass, my, maybe. Maybe cut out book, 200 pages. Maybe not, maybe don't do the second book. Is wow. is what she should have done. That's probably got to be an unpopular opinion. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. The second. Mm, here's the thing. The second book, the first book ends beautifully. It doesn't chef's like trying to give you just too did a much. Chef's catch. It sets you up. It sets you up for like knowing where these people are headed. And honestly, it's a happy ending. Yeah. Um, there is tragedy. There is pain. There is sorrow. And there is loss. But like it right. is. Ian would have preferred a happier ending. And it kind of degrades the quality of the overall. Ah, that is un- so. That's got to be unpopular. Um, hmm. Should probably read Little Women, Joe. You lose. Yeah, that makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, I think it's supposed it to be pretty good. Uh, maybe I'll just read the second book. No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Don't do it. 
Lit heads, there's a whole bunch that you can do. We love hearing from you first and foremost. If you want to submit a book recommendation, if you want to suggest a theme, God knows we often need it. You can do that over at tweenvogue.com. T-W-E-E-N. Vogue, also kind of tricky to spell. There's a weird G-U situation going on at dot com. Suggest a book. Suggest a theme. I'm going to read a quote. This book, book, as I've said, dips into moralizing. It also dips into sort of like philosophizing about about um, about public opinion. So um, that sounds super boring, but um, really this does. is a, a quote yeah. about a, a quote where where Joe Joe is like sitting around saying, "Hey, maybe I will never get married," and, and she's like not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. And so I, I, she's just sort of in this brown study. She's just sort of hanging out, thinking about being an old maid. Um, and and then all of a sudden, Alcott sort of pops in. And does some uh, some uh, direct talking to the young people reading this book, and she says, "The prospect of being an old maid is not invi- inviting." And and um, Alcott says, "It seldom is at first, and thirty seems the end of all things to five and twenty, but it's not it's not as bad as it looks, and one can get on quite happily if one has something in oneself to fall back on." At 25, girls begin to talk about being old maids, but secretly resolve that they never will be. At 30, they say nothing about it, but quietly accept the fact, and if sensible, console themselves by remembering that they have 20 more useful happy years in which they may be learning to grow old gracefully. Don't laugh at the spinsters, dear girls, for often very tender, tragic romances are hidden away in the hearts that beat so quietly under the sober gowns, and many silent sacrifices of youth Health, ambition, love itself make the faded faces beautiful in God's sight. Even the sad, sour sisters should be kindly dealt with because they have missed the sweetest part of life, if for no other reason. And looking at them with compassion, not contempt, girls in their bloom should remember that they too may miss the blossom time, that rosy cheeks don't last forever, that silver threads will come in the bonny brown hair, and that, by and by, kindness and respect will be as sweet as love and admiration now. 